Well, guys, good morning. I hope you are ready for this this morning. We're continuing in week two of what makes me happy. Now, I'm just curious, how many of you were here last week and you caught last week? That's awesome. Okay, then I want to start off with a quick review of last week. Last week, I asked a question. I'm going to ask the question again. And when I do, I want you to just shout out the answer. And I hope we all have the answer. In fact, if no one has this answer, it's going to make me feel awful. And I'm probably just going to start over on last week's sermon. Okay. So here was the question that we posed last week. The question, what makes you happy? Does anyone know the answer? Oh my gosh. We really are going to start over. Here's the answer. No thing. You guys remember that? We wrote it down. We put it on the screen. No thing. Guys, that didn't make me happy right there. We spent last week answering the, this question, what makes me happy? And the answer that we first looked at was no thing, because there's no material thing that makes you happy. If we look back in our lives, happiness is always tied more to a, to a who than it is to a what. If you think about the times you were happiest in your life, you can look back and go, you know, it, it always involves a who or two. That sounds like Dr. Seuss. <laughs> happiness is about a who or two, all right? It, it, it all, we look back and we think that was a wonderful time. What made it wonderful? Well, was it the vacation? Was it what we had? Was it the boat? No, no, it was the people that we spent that with. Happiness is always tied more about a who than a what. And I think there's a lot of us that were raised in church that um, we talked about last week have had to deal with a false dichotomy and this, this false dichotomy of, uh, of attention of going, you know what, I feel like I can either be a good Christian or I can be happy. Maybe you've heard it said you can be holy or you can be happy. And that's something that some of us, because of the way God was presented to us when we were younger, I felt like there's this tension there. But as we discovered last week, nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, it's not God who gets in the way of our happiness. It's God who provides the only way to our happiness. Yeah, and, and it's Jesus who said that I know more about happiness than anybody else. And he created us with the capacity for happiness and for joy. So today what we're going to look at is we're going to look at Jesus' plan for happiness. Because Jesus told us how you and I can be happy. And we're going to look at it in his most famous sermon. It's found in Matthew chapter 5. It's the Sermon on the Mount. And, And why do they call it the Sermon on the Mount? It's because Jesus was on the Mount when he spoke this sermon. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to figure that out. And in this sermon, it's found in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. Jesus talks about many different things, but he starts this sermon off talking about our happiness. And it's in a section called the Beatitudes. And you can remember that because all of these words start with B. He says blessed or blessed is like the old way to say it. That's the way I heard it when I was younger. Blessed this way. And and this word that we're going to look at that Jesus talks about in Matthew 5, blessed, is actually the Greek word makorios. And makorios means to be, to be happy or to be fortunate or to be blessed. So anytime you see this word in Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus says blessed, it's the word makorios, and you can substitute that with the word happy. Jesus is saying, if you want to be happy, here's the plan for it. And he gives us eight different categories. These are different mindsets, different actions of people who are happy. And you can do these things too. And I, what I want to do today is I want to take just the, the time we have together and look at these eight different things that he says about happiness. And then I want to take a step back before we leave today and ask the question, what is the common denominator with all these things? Because 
all of eight of these things, they, they could preach sermons all by themselves. We can learn so much from each of them by ourselves. But if we step back and say, all right, what's the common denominator between all of these things when God is talking about our happiness? It, it is going to provide an insight into our happiness, a principle into our happiness that can change your life. It can change the way that you do your everyday life and where you look for your happiness. So it's really a principle that once we leave here today, we're going to spend the rest of our lives either following this principle and becoming happy, or we're going to spend the rest of our lives butting up against this principle and fighting and undermining our own happiness. So I want to dive into it, but before we do, I want to just pray one more time and invite God's presence in this place because my words don't mean anything if we're not hearing from what God wants for each of us today. So let's invite him into this place. Heavenly Father, it's in Jesus' name that we invite you into this place. We pray your Holy Spirit would come, and as we read your words, we read the words of Jesus, that today you would just illuminate these words in our lives, that we would have greater understanding for your love uh, for us and how you want us to be happy, joyful, fulfilled people, prosperous people. So help us today, God. I pray for each and every one of us, the people in this room that are secretly sad, that we have a smile on our face and we act like we've got it all together, but but we come into this room and we're secretly struggling on the inside. I pray that you would break the chains off of us today, God, and help us to begin to move freely in your joy and your happiness. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. To jump into it, Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, starts with a little context here. It says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. And his disciples disciples came to him. So first off, there's three groups of people that follow Jesus in the New Testament. We had the apostles. That th- This is the 12 apostles, the, the ones that were called by Jesus to follow him. And they were wh- with him wherever he went. And then there was the disciples. Anytime we see the disciples, this is the group of people that followed Jesus because they believed in him. And they were called disciples because they were following the disciplines of Jesus' teachings. Since they were practicing what he taught and they were disciplining themselves that way, people called them the disciples of Christ. And then there was the crowd. So there's the apostles, the disciples, and the crowds. And crowds weren't necessarily people who believed in Jesus. There was a lot of people that were just coming to see what was happening. They heard someone was getting healed. They heard that miracles were happening. They just wanted to see and wanted to check out Jesus. And it says that this took place with a group of disciples. It says his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Now this is the most famous sermon and what does he teach this sermon on? He teaches it on happiness. And he starts right off, right off the bat, he says this. He says, "Blessed." Now remember we can we can switch this word out, replace it with the word happy as well. "Blessed are happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven." Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, right off the top, Jesus addresses one of the biggest myths as it refers to our happiness. And it's the myth that rich people are happy. It's also the myth that poor people are happy. That somehow how much you have has something to do with your happiness. In fact, he says instead, it's not rich people that are happy. It's not poor people that are happy. It's people who are poor in spirit. What does that mean? Someone who's poor in spirit is someone who recognizes and acknowledges the fact that no matter how much you have, if you have a lot or if you have a little, I am completely 100% dependent on God for him to take care of me today. And it's interesting that he uses the word poor here because it's a principle I think a lot of us can understand. 
Amelie and I went through a very poor stage when we got married very young. In fact, we were 18 years old when we got married. We were just kids. And when you're 18 years old and you get married, what that means is that you are poor, okay? Now, when I say that, you're like, oh, you must struggle. No, we had some very, very difficult times when we were poor. This is a story. Whenever I bring it up, my mother to this day still cries every time we tell this story, I, I, I tell the story sometimes just to make her cry, you know. Last Sunday, I was like, you remember that time, babe, when this happened? And my mom, don't tell that story. She starts crying again, right? And, and this is what happened. We went through a stage. We were so broke, we couldn't afford food. And I don't know if you remember this, but we used to have a daycare up here at the church. And, and, and Dottie, a wonderful lady in our church, used to cook food for the kids in the daycare. And she knew how broke we were. And she would actually take the leftover food from the little three and four-year-olds when they were done eating. And she would put them in Tupperware containers for us so we could have something to eat. And, and it got to a point where I remember going home and we looked in our cupboards and and we were two days away from our next paycheck. Our credit cards were maxed out. We didn't have anything. And I look in the covers, and there, there's one can of green beans and one package of ramen noodles. And, and I, I began telling the story again in front of my mom, and she's already tearing up again. And I said, and I remember I, I cooked the, the, the green beans for Amelie, put them in a bowl, handed it to her, and she starts eating the green beans, and I'm boiling up the ramen noodles. And I go over to the sink when they're done cooking, and I start to pour it into a strainer, and I kind of, my hand slips a little bit as I pour it in a strainer, and I dump it straight down the sink. And my mom is just, that's so sad. I said, Mom, look at me. I haven't missed many meals since then, okay? I'll be all right. But that poor stage we went through in our lives, it taught me something that was so valuable. And I would never want to trade that in because what it taught me is I couldn't depend on things. I had to depend on God. If I was going to eat the next day, if I was going to have anything, I realized, I, this is the thing, for poor people, you don't depend on things because things are not an option. And since they weren't an option, I just knew, God, I need you to feed us tomorrow. I need you to take care of us tomorrow. And it, it created in me this dependence on God to where now, uh, and here's the trick about being poor in spirit, to where now that, that I do have plenty of food, in fact, I have way too much food, <laughs> the fact that now I can look and still go, God, now I have money in the bank, now I have food in my covers, and I still depend on you just as much as I did when I was poor. And see... Happy people have learned this, and what Jesus was getting at, and what so many of us have learned the hard way is, is whenever you start trusting in your riches instead of trusting in God, and by riches I mean your money, but I also mean your education, your influence, you know, the uh, other people that you can use as in relationships to move up in authority and in power, whenever you start trusting in those things instead of trusting in God, you become unhappy. Because as soon as you start trusting in your riches, all of a sudden the, the responsibility falls on yourself to be happy. The, the outcomes are controlled by you now, and we can't control outcomes, so we become unhappy. And Jesus is saying, listen, listen, listen. If you, if you want to be happy, if you want to be blessed, you've got to recognize that it's not about how much money you have. It's not about how little you have. It's about no matter how much is in your bank accounts, you are still 100% fully reliant on God every day of your life. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Then he follows it up with another category of happiness. He says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. But do you know who mourns? 
Mourners are people who are emotionally connected. They're people who don't, rise, uh, don't hide from but recognize the fact that there are bad things that happen in this world. That there is injustice, that there are difficulties, there's randomness, there's death that happens. And instead of hiding from these things and denying these things, face them head on. And face the fact that, that yeah, there's going to be difficulty, there's going to be death, and I'm going to connect into this moment. See, this is something that gets lost in our culture. Because more and more in our culture, death is like sanitized for us. I think for a lot of us, you've experienced this where you hear someone, someone passed away and and instead of going and getting right in the middle of that with our loved ones, we, we kind of get this attitude, you know, I think I'm going to go to the funeral, and what time does the funeral start? And I'll, I'll slip in the back, and hopefully someone will see that I was there. Then I want to get out, I want to shake it off, and I want to get back to work. And it's like we deny, uh, we're in denial of the fact that death is part of our reality, that our lives are bookended. And, and and Jesus is saying, listen, if you want to be happy, you have to be the type of person who is going to embrace that there are difficult times that you're going to face, that there's death. Here's the way I'll put it in my own words as a pastor. Say, fear of dying will rob you from the joy of living. Here's another way to say it. Now, I heard someone else say this, and I love this quote. The only thing worse than dying is not truly living. See, if you want to become happy in life, you have to embrace what's going on around you emotionally. And you have to mourn when there's, when there's sadness going on. You have to mourn when there's death going on. Because once we recognize that our life is bookended, then it matters so much more what we're actually doing with our life. And Jesus is saying, listen, listen, if you want to be happy, you, you've got to connect to the fact that, that there's difficulty that goes on in life. Have you ever noticed that happy people um, are not afraid of death? They're not like excited about it. They're not happy about it, but, but they're not afraid about it either. There's just kind of this attitude, you know, it, it's going to happen when God wants it to happen, so I'm just going to live and enjoy my life until that happens. Jesus is saying, happy are those who mourn. You've got to be emotionally connected in this life. The next thing he says is found in verse 5. He says, blessed are the meek. For they will inherit the earth. Happy are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. See, our response to this word is almost all negative when we hear the word meek. You know, it's not on our list of when I grow up, I want to become meek. You know, dads, when you're talking to your daughters, we don't say things like, you know, honey, when you get married, I hope you find a man who's meek. No, we say things like, I hope you find a man who has a job, right? He needs a J-O-B. That's what we look for when we're trying to tell our daughters who to marry. But... And it's because we think that meekness is weakness. But really, meekness isn't weakness at all. It's, it's bridled strength. Here's a real wordy definition of it. Meekness is a proper estimation or valuation of oneself. And you get, in the, get this, within a broader context of God's creation and love. So this is saying properly estimating and valuing oneself within the broader context of God's creation and love. It's saying, you know what? We all have the ability to put ourselves right in the middle of the spotlight. And to make ourselves the, the center of attention, the center of focus. And when we take that power and strength that we have in ourselves and say, wait a minute, I was created for something bigger than this. And it's not about me, it's about Jesus. And I, 
God wasn't, God was not around to serve me. I'm around to serve him. And once we recognize that and we bridle that strength and that passion we have into going, you know what? My life could be better lived living it the way that God wants me to live my life. See, people who are meek aren't all about trying to get more friends, more followers, more people to like me on Instagram. People who are meek are all about wanting to live my life in a way that's going to please God. I love the way John says it in John chapter 3, verse 27. It says, a person can receive only what is given to them from heaven. In other words, he's saying, I'm going I'm to take advantage of every opportunity I have, those things that are given to me from heaven. I'm going to take advantage of that, but I'm not going to live my life striving to be beyond what God has created me to be, to try to make myself different or bigger somehow than what God wants for me. And, and Jesus is saying, listen, if you want to be happy, then you've got to embrace meekness. Not just living your life to try to make yourself look bigger, but recognizing where you fit as one of God's creations, as one of his children. Next thing he says is found in in verse 6. It says, blessed or happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You know, happy are those who are committed to doing the right thing. You know, they're happy because there's no guilt, there's no regret, there's a clear conscience. You know, these are people who are committed to doing the right thing even when it costs them. Because don't you know sometimes you can do the right thing and it still hurts? Do the right thing and there's still consequences that comes with it. Last week we talked about the fact that sin separates. It substitutes. It breaks down relationships. It breaks down the relationship between you and yourself. It breaks down the relationship between you and others, and it breaks down the relationship between you and God. And Jesus is saying, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, people that lean in and ask the question, you know, what is the right thing for me to do? Ultimately, they're going to be the people who are happy. If, if you go back and look at your life, your, your greatest regret is not tied to the time you did the right thing. You know, most of us, we'd look back in the, the times we go, you know what, where where I made this decision and I hurt peace with people, I hurt peace with God, I hurt, hurt peace with myself, I'm not at peace on the inside. When I look back at those things, those are the times I really regret. I want to hit the redo button. I'd like to go back and do it over, and it's because we, maybe we didn't ask the question, or when we did ask the question, what's the right thing to do, we just kind of pushed it aside and said, ah, I'm going to do what I want to do anyways. And Jesus says, those people that just have made a decision, you know what, I, even if it's not the popular thing, I'm going to do the right thing here. I'm going to make the right decision, the decision God wants me to make. He said, those are people who ultimately, in the end, are going to be happy. Then he goes to another category, verse 7. He says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Well, what's mercy? Mercy essentially is, is being relationally generous. You know, Giving to that person who hurt you what they don't deserve. You know, the, deciding that you're going to love your father even though he hurt you. Deciding that you're going to forgive your sister even though she hurt you. Your boss, whoever it was. Have you ever noticed that, that happy people are relationally generous? They're not people that are just looking at, you know, if I could just, it, somehow if I could just get paid back for this. If, if, they, if I could get my revenge, if they could pay for what they did. You know, people that go through their lives like that, they're, they're always striving. They're always struggling. They're unhappy. Have you ever met a, a bitter person who's happy? No. 
People go through their lives thinking about what happened to them and how they hurt me. They go through their lives just, just in turmoil, struggling on the inside. And Jesus is saying, to be merciful, to be relationally generous. When you do that, it's like, it's like you're deciding to become happy. You're forgiving them. Does, it doesn't just do anything for them. What it does, it does for you. It, it helps you on the inside. It brings you to peace on the inside. Then I love this next one. This next category that Jesus talks about is probably my favorite one that we're going to look at today. And it's because Jesus is basically asking the question. He's saying, do you want to see God? Would you like to see God? Would you like to have such clarity in your life that you can see what God is doing in your life? Would you like to have such clarity in your life that, that when you're faced with the decision and you don't know what to do, it's like all of a sudden you can see clearly and you know the right decision. Would you like to see that, that clearly? Would you like to see God? Or to every one of us in this room, we say, yeah, that's exactly what I want. And, and Jesus leans into his audience as he leans into you and I. And he says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Happy are the pure in heart, for they will see God. See, I just think this is one of the most profound statements, and here's why. As a pastor, I've got to tell you, over the last 16 years, I've had countless people come to me and say things along the lines of like, I just don't know how I didn't see it coming. How could I have been so stupid? How did I make that mistake? How did I not see it coming? How did I not have the clarity to get up and leave? How did I not have the clarity to to shut down that website? How did I not have the clarity to get out of that relationship? How How did I miss this? Unfortunately, there's been some times where I've I've offended people when when I've said this, but as gently as I can, I I just respond and say, Well, do you realize Jesus talked about this? He addressed this exactly, and he he said, you know, if you want clarity, if you want to see the right way, if you want to see what God's doing in your life, then then you need to embrace purity. And this is purity when it comes to morality. This is purity when it comes to ethics. This is purity when it comes to sin in every area of your life, saying, you know what, I'm not going to let my life get muddied up and get dirty with all these things that are going to pull me away from God's plan. I want to look above and beyond, and I want to look to what God wants for me, and I'm going to abstain from all these other things that would mud me up, and I want to stay pure because I want to know what God wants me to do in my life. See, I think there's a lot of us, though, that, that we struggle with this because there's this voice on the inside that, that tells us, well, you're missing out. You know, we're, we're faced with a decision and we, we think, well, I, I think I should do this, but, but we hear, you know, everyone else gets away with it, just do it that way. Or it's fine for everyone else. You can watch that. You can, you can do this. It's no big deal. You can ask for forgiveness later. It's no, no big deal. And we, we, we struggle with this idea that somehow we're missing out. And we think the only way for us to understand life is to experience it. And we've bought into this statement that our culture has, has thrown at us where our culture says that experience is the best teacher. Where Jesus says, wrong. That is absolutely not right. If you want to understand life, if you want to understand sin, if you want to understand blessings, then stay away from sin. Stay far away from it. And where you think I'm missing out, he shows us that eventually if we stay away from it long enough, we're going to get the clarity down the road to be able to look back and go, I didn't miss out. 
<laughs> in fact, I saved myself from so much pain. I saved myself from so many wrong decisions. He's saying, if you want to be able to see clearly and see God and know what he's doing in your life, then maybe you need to make a decision today to embrace purity. Say, yeah, I might, I might have to cancel a subscription. I might have to get rid of a roommate. I might have to move out. I might have to do something different. But, but I want to see God and I want to be happy, so I need to embrace purity. And then Jesus goes on and, and he says something pretty profound. I think we could all bite into. He says, blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Why is that? Well, your father in heaven, God wants to have peace with you. And when you decide to make peace with other people, you start to look like your father in heaven. That's why we're called children of God, because he wants to have peace with you. And we can go through life creating trouble, or we could go through life creating peace. You ever thought about this? Think about the troublemakers in your life and ask yourself the question, are they happy? You know that lady at the office who's always stirring things up? That person in your family, every time they show up to Thanksgiving dinner, you know there's going to be an issue. We're going to talk politics. We're going to do something like that. They're always stirring something up. Have you ever thought, troublemakers, are they happy? No. Troublemakers are not happy. In fact, a lot of times people create trouble because they're not happy and they're not okay with you being happy. I heard an interview with Joyce Myers. I know a lot of you listen to Joyce Myers. Wonderful lady. She loves God. And she was talking about early in her life, uh, she, she was married to her husband Dave, and, uh, and Dave was a very happy person, and she was a very unhappy person. And she couldn't understand how Dave was always so happy, and it drove her nuts. So she decided she, she couldn't fix her own happiness and couldn't be happy herself. What she was going to do is try to make Dave unhappy, and if Dave would just be unhappy, then she's going to be fine. So she committed in her relationship. Wouldn't that be great? You know, <laughs> Committed in a relationship. I'm going to make my husband miserable. And she had this moment. Where Dave finally came to her one day and said, Joyce, listen, whether or not you choose to be happy, I'm still going to be happy. And it was a turning point for her in her life. She goes on to say that it, it changed her outlook on life completely because she recognized that happiness was so much more in her control than she had ever thought before. And, and why is that? Why is it she was trying to hurt his happiness? Well, because people who aren't happy are, are, are troublemakers. They're not peacemakers. And Jesus is saying, if you want to be happy, you've got to be a peacemaker. Put another way, you've got to be a reconciler. Someone who will go into broke and hurting relationships and where there's been difficulty and pain and injustice and say, you know what, I'm here to make things right. I'm here to live at peace. And Jesus is saying, if you want to be happy, then you've got to be a peacemaker. You're like, this is, is 2,000 years ago that Jesus taught us this. Can you believe the implications that it means on our lives right now? That's seven of the first eight categories, and then Jesus hits this last one. I think the other ones we can look at it and we go, you know what, it makes sense that if I want to be at peace with other people, that's going to make me happy. But then this last thing that Jesus said is mind-blowing. It, it, it messes with your head a little bit. When he says this in verse 10, he says, blessed are those who are persecuted. Wait, persecuted? Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Wait a minute. Persecuted and blessed shouldn't be in the same sentence, right? Happy and blessed should not be in the same sentence. This doesn't make any sort of sense at all. They think, well, 
you know, I, I made the right decision and I lost my job over it, that doesn't sound like blessed. That doesn't sound like happy. Or, or everyone else in the class cheated and I refused to take the cheat sheet and they all moved on and they were grading on the curb and since they did that, I, I failed the class. It's like, I was persecuted here for doing the right thing. That doesn't sound happy to me. But what is Jesus getting at here? Jesus is getting at something that we've got to understand because the whole New Testament teaches us this and something we have to understand in life is in this life, you are going to suffer for doing good or you are going to suffer for doing bad. In this life, you will suffer, okay? And and on one side of this equation, you can be happy, but you can't be happy on the other side. If you are suffering in life because of the right decisions you make, then at the end of the day, you can be happy because at the end of the day, I'm at peace with myself and I'm at peace with God. So I'm fine, I'm gonna be okay. And, And And if it's on the other side of this, if you're suffering in life because of wrong decisions you make, then you're not happy because at the end of the day you're going, I made mistakes, I'm not at peace with myself, and I'm not at peace with God. And Jesus is saying, listen, you're going to suffer, you're going to struggle with different things in this life, so understand this. Don't miss this. It's so much better that when you're persecuted, you're persecuted for doing the right thing. So Jesus is saying this is how you become happy. If you want to be blessed, if you want to be fortunate, if you want to be happy in life, then do all these things I just said. And he invites us so beautifully to follow him, to be his disciples and discipline ourselves to doing exactly what he says here. Because he's saying, listen, I created you with the capacity to be happy. And so many of us go through life acting like we're happy, but on the inside we're really sad. And it's because we're missing some of these great principles here. So, like I said at the beginning of the service, We could break down each one of these eight principles, but I think more helpful today in this sermon is that we take a step back and we look and ask, what's the common denominator? Of everything Jesus said here, what is the common denominator? What is he trying to show us about happiness? And that question could be answered this way. Happiness is an outcome. Happiness is an outcome. Happiness is more about the ultimate than the immediate. Let me say it this way, and if you don't get anything else, I hope you would get this today. I hope you can leave with this principle today, and it's this. Happiness is not immediately accessible. Happiness is not immediately accessible. This is what Jesus taught us. That means you can't just become immediately happy. You know, we try to look for quick fix happiness, but that's not really happiness. You can't come into a service and say, you know, at 9 o'clock this morning, I was unhappy, but I heard a sermon or I heard a song, and now all of a sudden I'm happy, or I read this book, and now I'm happy. You just say, no, 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 no. Happiness is so much deeper than that. So much more valuable than that. So so much more important than that. Happiness has so much more substance than that. It can't just be immediately accessible. Happiness is more about, let me say it this way, it's more about farming than programming. What do you mean? Well, well, Jesus, all through the scripture and all through the New Testament, we see the comparison of farming when it comes to results in our life. And there's a principle of sowing and reaping here. And just like a farmer would throw out seed and not immediately expect a harvest, know that I'm planting seeds now and making decisions now because I want an outcome in the future. And Jesus is saying with all of these eight principles, all these eight categories, you're making decisions now that are greatly going to affect your happiness in the future. Happiness is all about sowing and reaping. Whereas many of us in this room would say, you know what? I've sowed and reaped my way into unhappiness. 
I've made decisions in the past that they're catching up with me now and I'm reaping a harvest on things that I wish I wasn't reaping that harvest and I'm unhappy right now, I'm struggling right now. But the good news is Jesus says, listen, you can follow me and you can start making decisions now and sowing into your happiness now for the future. You can make a decision today and say, you know what, today I'm going to decide to embrace being, uh, uh, being meek. I'm going to be relationally generous You know, today I'm going to decide I'm going to be a peacemaker. I'm no longer going to be a divider. I'm no longer going to go stir things up and just cause trouble everywhere. I'm going to be someone uh, who goes after peace, or I'm going to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Where in the past I've just done whatever I wanted to do, I'm going to lean in and ask the question, what's the right thing to do? Today I can make the decision to sow into the ground and say, by the grace of God, I'm going to seek purity and it might mean I have to do something radical. I have, to, I have to kick out a roommate or I need to move away or cancel a subscription or disconnect the internet at my house. But I'm going to make a decision today to start seeking purity because I want to see God. I want to see him clearly. And Jesus is saying, listen, happiness is all about sowing and reaping. It takes some time and, and you make decisions now for an outcome later. And then he wraps up this whole sermon. The Sermon on the Mount. He takes it and wraps up all these principles with the parable at the end of this. We see in Matthew chapter 7, and many of you, you've heard this parable. If you grew up in church, you might even knew a song about it. But he says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. Wait a minute. Catch that word practice there. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, not just says, yeah, I agree with Jesus. I agree that what Jesus said is right. Or man, I wrote that down. It was so good. I wrote it in my notebook. Or I called up my cousin and I said, you got to get online. You got to hear this. I agree with this principle. But he says, no, no, no. But actually puts these teachings to practice. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them to practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And see, building takes time. If you've ever built a new house, a house built by a builder, it takes time. It's not immediately accessible. It, it, it takes a while. He's saying it's like a wise man who built his house on a rock. Jesus is saying the person who hears these words and decides, I'm going to start putting them to practice today, is like the person who began the process of saying, I am going to make decisions in my life today to where I can start building a life that's going to be happy. See, there's nothing that changes immediately, but something changed eventually. And then Jesus in this parable flips it around and in verse 26 takes it to the opposite side of this and says, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them to practice, even if you agree with them, even if you say, yeah, I agree with that, that was awesome, I love Jesus' teaching on this, or, or I wish my friend was here to hear this, it, it's so important. Jesus is saying, if you don't put these things to practice, you get no credit for hearing you get no credit for listening, to put it in our vernacular today, you get no credit for coming to church, okay? Because don't, don't we love to do that? We come to church and like you think we're getting our gold star on the poster, and we call up our mom like, Mom, guess where I was today? I was at church. God saw me there, <laughs> you know? It's just like, no, you're deceiving yourself. You're deceiving yourself because even if you agree with it, if you don't put these things to practice, he says, is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, which took some time. There was no immediate return, no immediate consequences or outcome. 
See, and if you know this parable, it ends with the fact that a storm came and, and the storm beat against both houses. And in the end, the man who put Jesus' words to practice, his house was still standing. He was still there. He had a foundation built on the rock. But the man who heard Jesus' words and did not put them to practice, he stood there with nothing to show for it. All he had was regret. So I hope you would hear this. I hope as we continue to dive deeper into this series of what makes me happy, that we have to understand that happiness is an outcome. Happiness comes through sowing and reaping, and Jesus invites you, no matter what you've done in the past, that today you can begin to make the decisions to sow and reap into your happiness for the future. So if we put up the first question that we put at the beginning of this, is what makes you happy? The first answer is no thing. Let's practice this for next week. What makes you happy? Well, this has a second answer too. What makes you happy? Sowing. Did you bow your heads with me? God, I believe right now that your Holy Spirit is talking to many people in this room and you're telling us, you know what? We need to start making some changes. We need to start becoming more of a peacemaker. We need to be people who seek righteousness, right standing with you, doing the right thing. We need to be people who decide we're going to be pure. We're not going to just try to experience everything the world has, but we're going to try to keep ourselves pure so that we can clearly see you. God, whatever it is that you're speaking to us, I pray that before we leave here today, we'd make the decision, like the wise man, to put these things to practice. Not just say, yeah, it was good, that was great, and then go home and and live our life like the foolish man who did nothing about it. So God, encourage us. Give us the strength we need to start planning a life where we follow you and we're happy. Thank you, God, so much that you love us enough to even share these types of truths with us. And it's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Let's give him a shout of praise. He's good.